another episode of EC30. The conversation continues on racism in the gospel. Our special guest this afternoon is Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. Dr. Smith, how are you? I'm fine, Brother David. How about you? I'm doing well. Bless the Lord. Amen. Dr. Smith holds uh, the Charles T. Carter Baptist Chair of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School, where he teaches Christian preaching. He previously served as Associate Professor of Christian Preaching at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. A popular teacher-preacher, he received Southern's 1996 Finley B. Edge Award for Teaching Excellence. He's an ordained minister, served at New Mission Missionary Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio for 20 years. He's written books, Doctrine That Dances, Bringing Doctrinal Preaching and Teaching to Life. Another of his books, The Oasis of God, From Morning to Morning. Biblical Insights from Psalm 42 and 43 was published in the spring of 2015. He has spoken more than 100 universities, college seminaries in the U.S., Great Britain, Middle East, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and the Caribbean. His research interests include the place of passion in preaching, the literary history of African-American preaching, Christological preaching, and the theologies of preaching. At, at Beeson Divinity School, he teaches Christian preaching and other electives and homiletics. He and his wife, Dr. Wanda Taylor-Smith, are the parents of four adult children. And for those of you, if this is your first time listening to EC30, whether by video or podcast, be sure to uh, subscribe, rate the podcast, leave us a comment. EC30 started as an ethnic conciliation Birmingham group that was meeting weekly on Zoom, where white brothers and sisters congregation listen to our black brothers and sisters talk about historical present day racism injustice inequality and our hearts were broken over things we had been ignorant about willfully ignorant or uh, had been unaware of through a lens maybe we had not seen and lived up to the calling of jesus christ in our life uh, in the imago day that group has now gone from weekly meetings to once a month, and that's what led to EC30, where we've invited pastors, leaders, teachers to join us one-on-one -on -one in an interview-style podcast, presentation podcast, where they could give us insight from God's Word to challenge, encourage, and teach us what it means to walk this road together. So with that being said, Dr. Smith, I'm going to say a quick prayer for us, and I'm going to turn it over to you. All right, my brother. God, thank you for this day. We recognize this is your grace in our lives that we can open your word, ask your truth to be revealed, that you would shine light through your Holy Spirit into dark places, into attitudes, bias, uh, all our own willful ignorance or places that have had shadows through our world experience. And Lord, for your glory, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, both that is coming and that is here now, that we would confess sin and repent, and we would model to the world what it looks like to walk in love one with another. We pray this for the sake of your beautiful name and your glory. Amen. Dr. Smith. Thank you, Brother David. It's wonderful to represent Jesus and to uh, share with my brothers and sisters tonight. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. I am spe specifically speaking to the church. 
if you are a believer, I'm speaking to you. Those who may not be believers, you will overhear what I'm saying. The problem of racism in America and anywhere else is not really a problem of skin, epidermis. It's a problem of sin. It's cardiological. It's a matter of the heart. It's deeper than the skin. It's sin. And the only one who can reach that deep is God. It will take more than information. It will take transformation. I believe that the Imago Dei, being made in the image of God, and God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God made he him. Male and female made he them. The image of God. Every person made in the image of God. But that truth is inextricably tied to this truth, the truth of the incarnation. And Jesus lives that out in John 1.14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are made in the image of God. Humanity failed, and therefore God pursued us by becoming what he was not, who he was not, human. Deity became dust and yet remained deity. God became human and yet remained God. And the Bible says that he dwelt in the midst of us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As Eugene Peterson says in his message Bible, the word was made flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's crucial. Uh, I don't think that we are fighting as much or disagreeing really over the reality of the Imago Day in every human being. I hope those days are over where uh, people are declared to be subservient and inferior to others and not even possessing the imprint of the image of God. I, I hope I hope those days are over uh, as they were in the days of slavery when African-Americans and blacks uh, were said to be stricken with the curse of Ham and uh, were uh, destined to live a life of inferiority and subservience uh, to the white race. I hope that that day is over so that we can say that all people, I uh, think, well, listen to our little children who sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children of the world, red and yellow, black, white, and brown. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So our fight and our, our uh, conflict it's not so much over the Michael Day, but it's over our unwillingness to be incarnational. Mm. And Jesus dwelt in the midst of them. Can you imagine God dwelling in the midst of humans? That he who lived in the precincts of paradise would live in the ghettos of the slums of humanity. He touched the lepers. He ate with the publicans. 
He dwelled with sinners. He talked to the prostitutes. He was an individual who could be touched as a high priest of God with the infirmities and the creatureliness of our humanity. We must, as brothers and sisters, be incarnational and dwell in the midst of each other. We cannot do reconciliation um, with distance. There must be an interpenetration of our uh, lives so that we get to know each other. The reason why we are afraid of each other oftentimes is because we don't know each other. And I must be willing to move into the neighborhood, share with people who don't look like me, but because I'm living my life now in light of the eschaton, in light of eternity future, where Revelation 5, 9 and Revelation 7, 9 reminds us that people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue will be in the kingdom and we will worship together. And how strange and unfamiliar would be if I am in heaven and will be in heaven and the only ones in heaven will look like me. And it would be very difficult when I realize, wow, there are people from every nation, kindred, and tongue. So I must, I must get into redemptive rhythm now. This is a dress rehearsal now. I'm standing on tiptoe anticipation, awaiting the time when all of these labels will fall off. Because if you go to heaven and you have a label, whatever it is, it will fall off. If you go to hell, it will burn off. The only thing you and I will have that will pass eternity will, we are servants. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Clarence Jordan in the 50s established what he called the Cornelia Farms. We know Cornelia means fellowship. It means community. And on, it was established in the little city of America's Georgia. Uh, in that, uh, which was a Christian commune, it was a wonderful um, uh, place of Christian communism. I don't mean government in terms of dictatorship in Russia, USSR. I don't mean that. But I'm talking about biblical communism, where in the New Testament, early church, there were no needs that people had in the early church. Because if there were needs, individuals sold their houses and brought the proceeds and laid them at the feet of the apostles so that all needs were met. In that commune, you had Jews and Gentiles and African-Americans and Euro-Americans, Latinos and Asians and people from all over the world. They farmed that area. They lived together as people who appreciated each other. They were different but they were not deficient. They were different, yes. Different um, color texture, different uh, hair texture, different, but not deficient. No one was above and no one was below the other. They lived together as a Kodak moment of the future state of eternity, the way we will live in the new Jerusalem. And um, Clarence Jordan wrote uh, a... Um, paraphrased version of the New Testament is known as the Cotton Patch Bible. It's a paraphrase. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God was in Christ, verse 19, brother, God was in Christ 
reconciling the world back to himself. And he takes and uses a metaphor that helps us to see what reconciliation is. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. No, but he wanted an image that everyone could understand without having to define it. You got to define reconciliation. But he said, God was in Christ hugging the world back Mm -hmm. to himself. If I shook your hand tonight, Brother David, it would not be a sign of reconciliation, really, because there would be too much space between us. It's a handshake. But if I hugged you and you hugged me at a time when it would be safe without social distancing, sad thing is we've been practicing social distancing before social distancing became an expected and a necessary mode of action. But if we hugged each other, it would be a better metaphor for reconciliation because, David, you would get yourself, you're white, get some of your white self on me, I'm black, and I would get some of my black self on you. And so black and white, with no space in between us, we would be hugging each other like God was in Christ, hugging the world back to himself. I think we need to move beyond just customary handshakes. We need to get ourselves on each other and share in more than just swapping pulpits and worship worship services once a year doing racial reconciliation Sunday. That is not enough. I need to see Brother David in Walmart and he needs to see me. And we're just as much brothers and we're just as much uh, warm toward each other there as we would be in church because we've gotten some of ourselves on uh, one another. It's amazing that in the eschaton, God writes through the writer John uh, and tells us in the 21st chapter of John, a revelation rather, verse 1 and 2, and even leading up to 3. John says, I saw the New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice saying this, the tabernacle of God is with men, women, boys, girls, with humans, and they will be his people, and he will be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from the eyes. There's that word again, the tabernacle, which is the same Greek word as in John 1.14. The word was made flesh and tabernacle, dwelt among us. Therefore, God in Christ, in the incarnation, uh, dwelled among us. And in the eternal kingdom, he will dwell in our midst. And it's uh, about time for us as brothers and sisters to participate in the eternal uh, reality of dwelling with one another on earth. For thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is already done in heaven. Sometimes I hear individuals say, and they're asked the question, uh, particularly my, my white brothers and sisters, um, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't understand, uh, and I, I help me to understand, what can I do? And it's a legitimate question, it's a very sincere question. There is something that is greater than comprehensibility. It is identification. 
identification. Uh, surely we have to identify with each other before we even begin to comprehend each other. And therefore, when we begin to share life together, as Bonhoeffer would talk about, then we begin to um, understand each other. John Howard Griffin, in 1959, made a, a decision that was startling and mind-boggling. From Mansfield, Texas, a white man who had been in the uh, armed services, had seen how Germans had treated uh, Jews, made them dispensable, castaways, etc., and knew the plight of the African-American uh, in our nation. He came back. He saw so much uh, insensitivity. He saw so much discrimination, discrimination and uh, racial bias. He decided that before he could really comprehend uh, African-Americans, he had to identify with them. And so he decided to, uh, he entertained a um, magazine company who underwrote uh, this scientific human experiment. It was that he was going to take medication to blacken his skin. He was going to go to tanning salons to blacken his skin. Uh, he was going to take other treatments to blacken his skin until he got black enough. And then he was going to enter the black world as a white man with black skin. It was a dangerous experiment, very dangerous. But he wanted, in his words, to open up the eyes of white America. So he went to New Orleans and uh, went there. Uh, could not get a job, though he had a college degree, uh, because really he was black. Uh, he was rejected because of the color. When he went to the bus stations, his money was just thrown at him. He had to learn what it meant to see a fountain that said, for colored only, for white only. He had to wonder where he could go and spend the night because hotels uh, would not accept him, except he would be in a certain uh, district, a certain area. He had to wonder where he would use the restroom as an individual who found a relationship with a black man who was a shoeshine uh, artist who taught him how to talk and taught him how to dress and taught him how to relate to customers. He discovered uh, that even then, that there was such sharp discrimination that when he would take and uh, hitchhike and white men would pick him up, uh, very, uh, very um, embarrassing, painful things would be brought up about them saying that uh, they had uh, hired black women and how many uh, of them they would oftentimes have sexual relationships and hold them in hostage to it. Why? Because if they were not willing to give of themselves sexually, they could not keep a job. He learned all of these kinds of things. He had to stay in the worst hotels. He moved on to Mississippi and went to, went to Mobile, Alabama, went to Montgomery, all of that as a black man and met with all kinds of rejection. And then when he let his skin start whitening by not taking treatments and going to uh, tanning salons and got, got white again. When he went to the black community, he discovered that he would be rejected as well because of skin. 
What are you doing here? They became suspicious of him. What is this white man doing in our community? Are you coming to hurt us? Are you coming to drag us and hang us? What? That was suspicion when he was black. The whites suspected, suspected him. When he was white, the blacks suspected him. So he found himself as a man without a world. He would go back and uh, the book would be written. A movie, Black Like Me, would be, um, would be uh, uh, written. And in 1964, it would come out. We've used this book in our African-American church class at Beeson Divinity School. In fact, we just discussed it. And we have black men. We have uh, white women. We have white men. We have a Latino student. It looks like the kingdom of God. And we've talked about serious issues just like that. Well, Jesus came to tear down the middle wall of petition between Jews and Gentiles. But he also came to tear down the middle wall of petitions between um, those who were bond and those who were free, those who were female and those who were males. So there is this middle wall of petition. How did it get there? He came to tear it down. We've taken those same bricks and we have built up another wall that he has torn down. And what God has has joined together, let no one put asunder. But what God has put asunder, let no one take and join together again. Uh, the movie Black Like Me, in which John uh, Howard Griffin, uh, well, didn't play him, but wrote the book, and uh, there was another actor who played it. It, uh, it shows us, and the documentary shows us, that when John Howard Griffin went back home, and this became public in his neighborhood of Mansfield, Tennessee, outside of uh, Waco, or rather outside of um, Fort Worth, Texas, that uh, uh, there was an effigy that was hung uh, in the town square, showing him being hung, actually. Uh, he was scandalized. He was seen as an individual who was forsaking his race. Eventually, he had to move his family to Mexico uh, to escape uh, this kind of um, painful rebuke and uh, resentment. Uh, the movie ends, actually, and it's a wonderful documentary, but it ends uh, with these words. We've got to take doses of faith and hope, and we've got to keep on trying. And that's what I want to say to you tonight. We've got to take doses, regular doses of faith and hope and keep on trying. Why? Because our Lord is leading the way. Nothing can thwart his plan. We are called not to be thermometers that indicate the climate of our church, the climate of our city, the climate of our state, the climate of our nation, the climate of our world. That's a thermometer. We are called to be thermostats that adjust the climate. And when we read one of the questions, Brother David, you gave me, was this matter of how do you handle reading the great uh, giants of, our, of the great Second Great Awakening, uh, First and Second Great Awakening, namely Jonathan Edwards, 
um, and George Whitfield, both who were slaveholders. All people have their stains and their cracks and their breakage. Our faith is not uh, in them. Our faith is in him. And so we love them and we understand. It's not a matter of, of uh, permitting. No, there are cracks in all of us. We have this treasure in crack vessels, crack pots. And I know that the two highest points in uh, the religious history of America were the two great awakenings. I understand that. And yet slavery, if you will, survived both of them. I understand that. But we look beyond the two great awakenings. We look beyond the two peaks of the greatest and the highest moment, the apex of religious fervor. There is a higher peak. Mm. It's called Calvary. Amen. Because of that, my faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my sin away. Oh, let me from this day be holy thine. We look to him, Brother David. What a blessing. What a blessing. One of the, the things that you said that stood out, our fight is over our resistance to be incarnational. Oh, what a, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for your time tonight. God, God's grace and, and for his glory. Would you pray for us to close us out? Our Father, we cannot but you can. And I pray even now that you will not only empower, but continue to inspire by your spirit, your church, the body of Christ. We are members of an undivided Christ. May we not be a divided body of an, of an undivided head. May the body of Christ move from being undivided to being divided that we might represent our Christ as the head of the church. We need you. You can do it. Do it through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.